Hello and welcome to Animal Chat, an Alberta SPCA podcast where we talk about animal welfare, animal behavior, and animal protection. I'm Dan Kobe, and thank you for listening and being passionate about animal welfare and compassionate for the animals in our province. Our focus today is on boarding facilities and how to choose the right one for your pet. As we're recording this episode, Alberta is getting ready to ease health restrictions, and we're expecting many people will have a pent-up demand for travel. One of the biggest stressors before heading away for some R&R can be ensuring your pet is in a place where it's not only safe, but has the level of care that's in line with what you would expect for your cat and dog at home. My guest today is Catherine Slade from Glen Park Pet Hotel and Suites, which is a fantastic name. It's a facility in the greater Edmonton area. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for inviting me and glad to be here today. Hope to be able to answer some questions and let folks know what to expect if they're considering boarding their pet for a holiday. I know when I did it for my own uh, dogs in, in the past, it was a exceptionally stressful um, trying to investigate what would be right for our dogs. So I think uh, there are lots of people who will get a lot of valuable information out of this. Perhaps we'll start off, Catherine, by uh, you giving us a brief description of what you do at Glen Park and what you offer. Glen Park has been around for 13 years now. We opened back in 2008, just in time for Christmas. Premium pet accommodation is what we do best. First and foremost, it's all about boarding here. Having said that, we also do some grooming. We do some board and train service, as well as some day stay services. What we don't do here is what most folks call daycare. Since COVID came along, our private pooch play park has been an especially popular attraction. We're built mostly for dogs here, but we do have a few lovely kitty condos as well. Um, Our clients who have dogs as well as cats enjoy the one-stop shopping experience, so we want to be able to support those too. And I'll just apologize right now to the pussycat parents listening that I will be talking mostly about dogs rather than cats. Yeah, and I think we think about dogs mostly when we think about boarding. Uh, We will touch on cats at the end, but we'll focus on dogs for now. So what uh, would be the number one thing you would recommend to someone looking for a boarding facility for their beloved pet? What I think is most important is what I call transparency. You should be able to get all the information you need about your pet. This is about the care of your fur baby. This is no quick and easy, small impulse buying decision. You're going to do your homework, get out and meet and greet the people at this. Enjoy your experience, we hope, and then you will have found your go-to place for many years to come. This is a big deal and worth doing your research. Not every place might be great for every dog. Every dog is different. Every pet is different. And you know your dog the best. I recommend starting online. There's a lot of information on websites and on social media. But do get at least a personal phone call in and ask specific questions about your pet and their facility and how well that's going to work. Ask about their staffing. Ask about their daily routines and the activities that your pet will enjoy while they're in their care. If that phone call felt right, go with your gut. And the next step is to get in the car and get out there. Tour the facility. Ask to see all the outdoor facilities as well as all the indoors. Are the dogs there happy? Is the barking happy? What about the staff? Do they seem happy? Do they seem organized? 
Is in fact there enough staff there to care for the dogs who are in their facility? Do they seem to have good systems and protocols in place, including emergencies, unfortunately, which do happen? Are they covered for all that? Uh, certainly a lot to unpack there. So we'll sort of go through each one of those uh, types of scenarios uh, individually so you can give a little bit more detail. So let's start with the hotel rooms in your case, but the, the, uh, the kennel uh, or space that a dog would have to itself, what should you be looking for and insisting on? Right. Well, there's a big variety of what's out there. Uh, For starters, some facilities don't even have private spaces for their dogs. It's an open concept way of doing things. They'll throw down some blankets and some mats at night and the dogs just flake out and crash wherever they feel like it. For some dogs, that may be fine. For a lot of dogs, it's not. Some facilities will use travel crates. Again, this big open concept room will be lined with a few travel crates and they tuck the dogs into crates at the end of the daycare day and they spend the evening and overnight in the crates. That might be fine for some dogs and some folks might not be fine for others. In our opinion, it's important that the dogs and cats have their own private space. We think that they appreciate a quiet and cozy area that's all their own, that has their blankets that smell like them and their stuff that they brought from home without any risk of it being disturbed by another pet. They like their privacy. They like to feel safe. They like to feel cozy. They like to know that when they're out cold, nobody's going to bug them. Another thing to consider is your dog's eating habits. If your dog is a grazer who likes to pick away at his dish, a little here, a little there, that's not going to work well in an open concept facility. That same dog is going to need access to that dish over the course of the day. So the neighbor across the way doesn't want to be barking his head off every time little fellow approaches his room. That's where, again, having a private space that provides some visual protection as well as the physical for the pet tends to make them less stressed and settle better. Cleanliness is something that is important to a lot of people. It's important to note, though, that it's not just as easy as as a facility smelling clean. In fact, that might be a problem, correct? Yeah, there's clean and then there's clean. You don't ever want to walk into a facility and smell chemical cleaner. Clean should smell like nothing. It shouldn't smell lemon. It shouldn't sell pine. It shouldn't smell like anything. It certainly should never smell like bleach. Cleaning and particularly bleach fumes can be very toxic and dangerous to dogs. Um, They don't do well with it. So it's important, of course, that the right cleaners and disinfectants are used, but just as important as the right product is using them in the right quantities at the right times. The pets should not be around. They should never be brought back into their guest room if that floor was just cleaned and still smells like cleaner or disinfectant. Needs to be dried first. So it's about the products. It's about how it's used. And again, it's all about the health and safety of the dogs. If a place was to smell too clean, to me, that would be a flag that we're trying to cover something up. Again, clean should smell like nothing. Let's not forget these are dogs, okay? They come with dirt. They come with hair. They're dogs. It's part of the deal. If the dogs have been busy all day, out walking, out playing, there should be some dirt and some hair hanging around. If a facility is a little too clean, that in itself might be a bigger red flag than the opposite. Nonetheless, it shouldn't have to smell like stinky dogs. All right, well, let's move along to feed. And this one can have a lot of components to it. What should you be asking about when it comes to how your dog will be fed at its kennel? 
What we recommend is best is to keep the dog on the identical food and medication program that they're on on home. Less change is better in this area. Lots of dogs have sensitive tummies. Lots of dogs have allergies these days. Lots of dogs have a variety of issues and it doesn't take much to upset that tummy and therefore get some business out the back end that's less than perfect. And of course, that's not desirable for anybody. We recommend dogs bring the identical diet that they eat at home. Sometimes this gets a little interesting because don't you know, when they eat at home, they eat at the same time as their people. And there's sometimes a little bit of people food involved. And of course, lots of pet parents don't like to admit that. They bring the pooch in for boarding with his boring old bag of kibble. The dog is looking at the kibble, looking at us as if to say, come on, what else do you got? And so it sometimes takes what we call a little bit of kick up service. We're not here to change the diet. We need to sell the diet that mummy brought. So again, if we were eating at home, we would be cooking liver and onions in the background. There would be all kinds of yummy smells in the kitchen and the people would be eating something yummy that the dog would probably be sharing a little bit. What we can do here is offer a little bit of something to entice that kibble. Our first go-to product would be high fat, unflavored yogurt, a dollop of that on top of the kibble, stir it through. It's like puppy ice cream. They're going to lick that off the kibble. They might spit the kibble out, but you know, you're going to sell a few along the way. Once we get them going, we have no problem keeping them going. Of course, they're hungry. They want to eat. They're sometimes a little fussy on the first night here. Everything else is more interesting than the boring old kibble dish, but we'll offer it up by hand. Again, we'll add that dollop of yogurt or something yummy to get it going and just make sure that they're eating. It's really important that dogs eat. A lot of clients tell us on their first visit, oh, my dog just won't eat if he's not at home. Well, he can't not do that. It's one thing to miss your dinner on the first evening because everything else was more interesting but we don't take the food away. We leave it with them all night. They're welcome to eat it up at midnight if that's what they want to do. But if they haven't eaten up by the next morning, we have to go into action and make sure that food gets sold. Every guest who's with us has a chart on their gate of their guest room. And on there, we are recording what's going in and what's going out. As long as at least half of it is going in and it's all coming out nicely, there will be no notes added to that when you get back from your holiday. If less than half of it is going in and we're using different tricks to get it in, then we start taking notes so that our staff can communicate with each other what's working and what's not working. It's really important to identify this very early on. If a dog doesn't eat for more than a day, then the next thing that happens is it gets ugly out the back end. Now you have a genuine bellyache for a real reason and a situation that needs to be corrected. Way simpler to catch this early on, get them gobbling, get it going, and just keep going. Socialization. This is a big one. Uh, you know, obviously, where to sleep, where to eat, those are the basics. But I think we can see where the biggest risk for a dog um, at a kennel will be other dogs. Yeah. And unfortunately, this has probably got even worse since the world of COVID and we all hid in our own homes and backyards for a year. Even dogs who might have been pretty social before that have now fallen out of practice. And, you know, just like people, they have social skills and they have manners, which if they don't have a chance to practice and exercise, will get a little dusty. And they might head into a dog meeting and greeting with just a little too much exuberance and a little too much excitement and put off the other dog and therefore have themselves a situation. We do it a little differently out here. Most daycares and boarding facilities 
work from the position that all dogs love all dogs and that's how they will function until they figure out otherwise unfortunately by the time you figure out otherwise the damage is already done we're going to work from the opposite place we actually presume that each and every one of them just might want to kill each and every one of them if they had the chance. Now, of course, that's not the case. It's being overly paranoid. But don't you know, I personally own two reactive dogs that I would not trust with other strange dogs I don't know. So I'm personally a little paranoid. And I just kind of follow that through to the boarding kennel. Not everybody was made to play in the sandbox with the other kids. So it's not for everybody. We do no group play here whatsoever. We can offer a supervised play date arrangement, but it's all set up very carefully with the right playmate. You have to go for walks first on leash. You have to do proper introduction and meet and greet. We have to have the right staff. For that matter, even the right weather going on, we would never try introducing two dogs to each other if there was a thunderstorm cooking in the background. You really do need to set this up for success and be positive that the experience is gonna be good for both dogs before you let it happen. One bad experience, especially as a teenager, they will remember it for life and you could do more damage in a few minutes that could take years to correct. And nobody wants that phone call that uh, their dog's been involved in, in something like that while they're on holiday. That obviously is incredibly upsetting, especially if you're not close by. You talk about having the dogs playing, presumably a lot of the times with uh, people present watching what's going on. It's important as well, though, to know what the dog is doing, even when they're on their own in their kennel, correct? Yes, absolutely. And so we need to be keeping an eyeball on them. They're generally never in the building for more than two hours at a time throughout the day. And it's off to go for either another activity or even just a potty break. Not every trip is fun. Some of them are just business trips, we call them. Um, But again, we're monitoring what's going in and out. Uh, There are staff in the facility up and down the hallways all the time. We assign our staff here. Our building cuts into four quadrants. It's a good sized building, but it cuts into like four small mini buildings. And we assign staff per quadrant so that the dogs get to know their staff and the staff get to know their dogs. And then they come back three days in a row and then they're off for a couple of days. But that other nice girl comes back. We really do want to deliver a good routine and regular experience for the dogs. Dogs do really well with routine. They like to know what to expect. And of course, on subsequent and repeat visits, it makes it super easy when we can just hop back into the same program, the same room whenever possible, or at least the same section, and uh, just pick up where we left off for the pet. In addition to the staff keeping an eye during working hours, we also recommend that a facility should have cameras. The technology these days is great. These infrared cameras work wonderfully in the evening night lights. Uh, We can see what's going on in their rooms. We can tune in with our uh, microphones and uh, listening devices if needed. And we can operate that service all night long. We do tuck dogs down to bed here at 9 p.m. But if there's somebody I'm worried about, I can turn on my camera, either on my phone or on my computer and check in and see what they're doing at any time. And important if there is something going wrong that you're able to obviously act fast. Yeah. Stuff in the world of dogs is urgent. You know, at the same time, if it's medical, you need to know when to call a vet. They're dogs. They're going to vomit or have a loose stool every now and then just because that's them and that's because they're dogs. You don't necessarily rush to call a vet just because a dog threw up a little bit of grass. 
at the same time, you need to know where the difference is. That's where, again, we're making notes on their charts. We're keeping track. Is this a one-off? If it's just a one-off, you don't worry about it. But if the dog has vomited a couple times within a day and now can't seem to get food down and or you recognize any behavioral change, then yes, it's important to get to a vet. Obviously, if there is a very obvious illness like an um, epileptic seizure or something or the dog has injured himself, then you got to go to the vet and you got to go right now. Uh, we talk to our clients about this when they come in for their first visit. We have their permission and authorization to take the dog to the vet. We call the people and tell them what's up, but we do not wait to hear back from them. We get in the car and we go and we get what's done needed for the dog and uh, catch up with the folks later if necessary. That probably happens more often than people would like to admit, I would think. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, over the years, I've taken at least three dogs to the vet just because they had allergies. But, you know, it's my job to make sure that everybody's healthy. And if a dog seems to have what appears to be an uncontrollable cough and sniffle, then I'm going to go to a vet to have that checked out in case it's contagious. But sometimes, unfortunately, Bordetella can look a lot like allergies. And yeah, in at least three cases, I have in fact done that. But you know, better safe than following that thought through. This is something we don't talk about a lot. We certainly don't include it on our facility tours. But every good facility should have a quarantine area. There is going to be it's not an if, it's a when. A case of the Bordetella, the canine cough comes along. And of course, we have emergency contacts for our clients who are out of town. But usually nobody's available to come immediately get the dog. Often there might not be anyone in town who can come get the dog. In which case, you're now stuck with the coughing dog. So you have to have facilities outside of your kennel that you can care for those dogs. So it's important that that be there. They're certainly not our most romantic and attractive facilities, but we do have them here. If we have to get a dog out of the building for the sake of keeping everybody else healthy, we can do that. On that note, uh, we're sort of getting to the, the rapid fire part of, of uh, our conversation, but um, vaccinations is probably a good time to uh, ask about that. Uh, every facility should uh, be very strict on those, correct? Yes, and have to be. Um, a licensed boarding kennel, will have rules with their municipality as to what's required. Uh, here in the County of Leduc, which I believe is the same as the city of Edmonton, we by law must require the rabies vaccine and what we call the combo shot, which is the distemper, the parvovirus, and either the hepatitis or the androvirus. Again, the vet recommends which shot is best for the dog, but those shots are mandatory. Uh, you mentioned earlier about staff ratios with the animals training. Um, what are you looking at uh, in your facility? What would what should people be asking about? Yeah, the staffing ratio to dogs is somewhat dependent on the services they're offering. And the same with the training, depending on the services and are the staff doing cross services or are they more working within their area? For instance, not everybody here needs to know how to groom a dog. Everybody here should know how to do a basic bath and trim nails, but I don't need all my staff to be able to do fancy foo-foo haircuts. Same with dog training. Everyone should understand the basics of how to invite a dog to sit and reward them for giving you that nice smart sit, but not everyone who works here needs to have the training required to take the dogs to competition obedience level, for instance. Everyone, however, who works in your facility does need to understand what's called dog body language. 
Dogs don't talk same as you and me, but they communicate volumes through the shape of their tail wag, through the look of their eyes, through the position of their ears, their body posture. All that says a lot about what's going on with that dog, how comfortable he is in this situation and how you can help them out. My staff all very much get training in that. And then again, depending on what they're doing here, they get additional training um, in the specialty areas like uh, obedience and grooming. Uh, climate control, something that people might not normally ask about, but it ends up being quite important, especially if it's the heat of the summer or the, uh, the coldest part of winter. Yeah, it is important. Alberta has its extremes. When we get cold, it's really cold. And when it gets hot, it can get really hot. Um, Our furnace or our facility has two furnaces in it. If one ever crapped out, we open up the divider doors between the sections and the other furnace would get us through the night until we can get the repairman through. You've got to have a backup for everything. Uh, We do have air conditioners, but they're window air conditioners spot located throughout the facility. We never close our windows. You always want a fresh air feed coming into the building. Dog germs are in the air and you constantly need a fresh air feed. So whether it's 35 35 plus or 35 minus outside, you still need that fresh air coming in. A lot of fans are built in into the right places in order to circulate that air through. And again, just super important to keep it comfortable for them. Obviously, dogs are, are part of the family. Um, and so when someone is tra- traveling for themselves, they take their, their creature comforts from home. Same applies to your dog. Um, people will want to bring in favorite blankets, toys, etc. And obviously, that, that's important that a facility allow that to happen. I think it is. I think we're all more comfortable when we're surrounded by our own personal goodies that smell like our own personal house. Uh, Again, some of these facilities who operate a more communal environment, they can't allow that because there's no way that they can protect that dog's bed or that dog's toy from other dogs. And you could potentially actually be creating a problem in those situations because, you know, Fido likes his bed. He doesn't want that other dog sleeping on it. Um, He might get quite upset if that other dog was to park himself on it or Lord forbid, pick it up and want to carry it away. Uh, Dogs are entitled as our people. You know, our stuff is our stuff. And if I brought my favorite red ball to play with, I don't want that other dog to just take it and run away. It's a situation called resource guarding. Dogs get their nose out of joint, though, when other dogs are messing with their stuff. So their stuff should stay in their own room at the same time as the boarding kennel. You know, don't bring something that's irreplaceable. Stuff is going to happen. The just filled water bucket is going to get dumped and the bed is going to have to go through laundry. Anything you're bringing, please make sure it can go through the laundry. And insofar as toys are concerned, especially in the case of a first time guest for us, we're quite careful. You know your dog. The story I'll say is you're welcome to bring that teddy bear, but If the dog decides at midnight that Teddy's head has to come off and all the fluffy white stuffing is going to come out, well, we're not going to get mad. He won't get in trouble. We'll probably giggle and take his picture. But if in the process of cleaning it up, we're pretty sure half the stuffing is missing. Or better yet, there's no sign of the eyeballs that were there yesterday. Or that little plastic thing inside that made Teddy say squeak. And I look at your dog and I say, Fido, what do we know about this? And Fido says squeak. Well, then what do I do? Keep durability in mind. We won't give them anything they can get into trouble with. So don't you either. 
again, it's a pretty controlled word here. Safety first, safety first, safety first. Of course, we want to have fun. Of course, we want them going home, having a great time. But most important to everybody is they go home in perfect shape. Excellent. And dogs, as we know, have a habit of um, getting into trouble uh, very quickly when left alone for just a few minutes. Yeah, well, they're dogs. <laughs> it's fun uh, being a dog. <laughs> it is. Well, let, well, let's switch uh, gears a little bit then and, and quickly talk about cats. And, and I know you mentioned off the top that you do accept cats. It's not a, a big part of your business, but there are some situations where people will want a cat cared for. What should people be looking for if they uh, need their cats boarded? Yeah, cat, cats actually are a little bit trickier. Most dogs can be quite quickly bribed, okay? You get the right treat or the right toy. And you're going to work your way into that dog's heart real quick. Cats are a tougher customer. They are much cooler for sure. Generally speaking, cats hate crates and cats hate car rides. So they arrive with a chip on their shoulder. (laughs) It often takes the first day to get them to warm up, to get over the chip on their shoulder, be ready and willing to make a new friend and settle in well for you. I don't recommend for folks that they bring cats just for a weekend boarding unless the cat has a medical necessity like diabetes that must be managed. If kitty can just be left at home for a night or two on his own with his dish topped up and maybe a neighbor kid coming in to clean up the box and top up the water, that's probably recommended. But for a bigger stay, moving on to multiple days or a week or more, then no, the cats need the company. They need the attention. They want some personal grooming. They're just a little tougher to warm up. I do recommend with cats that when you find a good facility, you very much stick with it. Same for dogs, but especially for cats. Once they get into the routine and you know the animal is comfortable and happy there, you shouldn't mess with it. They really do do best with routine. Catherine, that's a, there's a ton of information here, and um, I, I feel like we could probably talk about this for a couple of hours, and, and people would probably quite enjoy that because everyone likes talking about their animals. Um, <laughs> but we do try to keep uh, the podcast into the uh, under 30 minutes category, so we'll probably yeah. need to, to wind it up. But thank you so much for sharing your your years of knowledge and experience with boarding facilities uh, and trying to ensure that uh, people have uh, a, a pleasant experience when they do find a facility so that uh, their, their dog and potentially their cat have a great stay when uh, family is on vacation and they don't have to worry about it because that's important for all involved. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. I've Hope I put some information out there for folks so they know what to ask. They know what to look for when they're scoping out their boarding possibilities. It's great opportunity for the dogs and cats to have a good plan B. Every good pet owner needs a good plan B. It's important. You want to do it for fun stuff like holidays, not because you've got a family emergency reason. So get out there and do your homework, folks. Even if you're not traveling right now, know where you want to go so that when your turn comes, you'll be ready. Thank you so much, Catherine. And as always, we, uh, we pro- provide photos and, and extra information on our website to go along with this episode on the Alberta SPCA website, albertaspca.org. And it's under the news tab and under podcasts where you can see some of our other podcasts and learn more about this particular episode. On our next episode of Animal Chat, we're talking about dog training and what works best for training and busting down some of the myths 
some dog owners are holding on to when it comes to obedience training for your pet. We'll be joined by certified professional dog trainer, Chris Rooney. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening.